0: So happy to be back together and to share this very special day with each of you, wherever you're making your connection with us, right here in the house or right there in your house, Church Online, glad to welcome you today. Uh, Somebody asked me this week, you know, how's your week been going, Pastor? I'll tell you, here's how it was. It was happy and it was heavy. (laughs) I got, you know, the thing about this time of year is the happies seem to be happier and the heavies can feel even heavier. And so what I'd like to say today, wherever you're making your connection, we're praying that God will meet you in your heavy and that lift you by the blessing of his presence as we gather in his name today. So thank you. If you're a guest with us, especially today, you honor us with your presence. We're thankful for you to be here, and we invite God's blessing upon you and those that you love in this very special season. Now, the Hope Diamond, you've heard of the Hope Diamond. It is the most famous diamond in the world. Consider the most famous. It's estimated worth today over $300 million. And now when when Harry Winston donated that 45.52 carat jewel to the Smithsonian Institution, believe it or not, he sent it to them through registered mail. (laughs) Registered, this is true. You can look it up. Um, in, a bl- in a brown paper package, and we found the package. Here's what he sent it in. Just simply marked fragile. Now, the price for mailing was $145.29, and of that, only $2.44 was the postage cost. The rest of it was for the million-dollar insurance policy as it went through the mail. Um, this is amazing to me, something so valuable, something so rare, and yet wrapped and shipped in such a plain and vulnerable way. Can you believe it? Have you ever used a plain brown paper bag as gift wrap? You don't have to admit it, but, you know, some of us know what that means. Have you ever been surprised by a gift that showed up in just a plain wrapper that you never saw it coming, but it was like, oh, couldn't believe it was... Sometimes the way a gift is wrapped is part of the gift, right? I mean, after you have taken the time and given the thought to your personal loved one for this, the perfect present that's going to be just right for them, and then you have covered the cost because you got to take time and thought. What does it take to give the perfect present? you got to take time and thought about the person that you're giving it to, and then once you've found the present, you got to cover the cost You got to be able to pay for it. And then what? Well, the next question in line is wrapping. Will you wrap it? If you do, how will you wrap it? You give care to uh, a meaningful way of wrapping because wrapping is part of the gift. Now, my youngest grandson uh, is a Spider-Man kind of guy, and my oldest grandson is Minecraft. And so if you want to speak to them, you wrap it that way for them, right? Wrapping is part of the gift. Sometimes the person receiving the gift, is reflected in the way a gift is wrapped, right? This is all free Christmas advice for you. I'm just giving you a little heads up here. Um, sometimes uh, there'll be a bow or a ribbon or some even an ornament that's put on top of it with the person's name. I've got a, uh, a special photograph that was a, a gift ornament that hangs on Uh, one of those twisty knobs for a lamp all season long even though he put it on the tree at Christmas time but I like it so much that I've got it out all year round because somebody was thinking about me when they were wrapping that gift sometimes I've seen people you have too when they receive a gift I mean they're not they don't even take a moment's thought they're ripping right into it papers flying everywhere they want to see what's inside right Other times, maybe this is you. Sometimes people, the wrapping is done so beautifully that you've seen them just with the intricate care. They're sliding their hand or their little pocket knife and they don't want to tear the paper and they're taking forever to get it done, but they're, you know, they take the paper off, they take the wrapping off, they fold it up nicely, and then they even, maybe you, recycle it and use it as part of a loved gift to somebody else. The wrapping matters. That's the whole point. My point is wrapping matters. And the same is especially true of the perfect present that God gave on that very first Christmas. Without which gift there would be no Christmas. And I'm not just talking about the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes that we've read about. I'm talking about the process by which the Word became flesh, became human the word that was with God and was God in the beginning, and the same is God, that word became human and then wraps himself in humanity. What a plain, fragile wrapper. I mean, we saw last week as we unpacked Philippians chapter 2, that that was part of the price, that as God gave time and thought to the perfect present, then as he also evaluated the cost it would take to give it, that part of the price was um, paid for our salvation because he took on humanity so that he could cover the cost, so that he could do justice, and so that he could pay the penalty in full for human sin. The wages of sin is death. Now, how is God going to pay those wages? He's got an idea. He has to take on a body in Jesus Christ so he can die. That was part of the point. He came to a manger cradle so that he could die on a cruel cross. And today, what we're doing, we're just going to turn another facet of that diamond around and take a look at uh, the incarnation, highlighting what the author of Hebrews wants us to see. That in Jesus Christ, God was giving himself to us, as a human high priest, a human high priest. Now, priesthood is not like a topic of daily conversation at my house. At your house, when you go sit down to have coffee, people don't talk about, you know, what does it take to be a human high priest? And so what I'm gonna do is um, invite you to think with me about a fascinating and touching way that the writer of Hebrews is trying to introduce us into the reality That God was giving us in this perfect present in himself. And I want to do it through reading a scripture that maybe you've never heard connected to the Christmas story. But at its truth is right at the heart of it from God's perspective. Here it is. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 from the New Living. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings that we do and yet he did not sin. Imagine that. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God and there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us. To help us when we need it most. Maybe you're feeling some of the heavy of this season. Maybe you could do with a little help. <laughs> and this is our prayer today. Ephesians, well, Hebrews chapter five, verse one. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and he offers sacrifices for their sin. And he is able to deal with Gently with ignorant and wayward people. Now, don't get offended by the word ignorant. We're all ignorant about something, you know, just different things we're ignorant about. You know, we just don't know what we don't know. And then we tend to, you know, veer off path because of what we don't know. And so what he's talking about here is just saying that the high priest is going to be able to deal gently. Why? Because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. And that's why he must offer sacrifice for his own sin as well as the sins of others. No one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. No. He must be called by God. Called by God for this work just as Aaron was. And then he gives us this. That's why Christ didn't honor himself by assuming that he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God who said to him, You are my son. Today, I've become your father. And then in another passage, God says to him, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Now, hey, if that sounds strange to you, hang in there. We're going to come back to it and, and deal with it in a moment. But the author gives us this explanation. While Jesus was here on earth, he offers prayers and pleadings With a loud cry and with tears to the one who could rescue him from death. God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. And even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. What does that mean? In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. What an amazing scripture. A little confusing too, right? But last week, if last week what we saw was the mortality of Jesus, that God took on a body so he could die, God can't die without a body. He took on a human body so he could die in the person of Jesus Christ. If last week we saw the mortality of God, this week we're invited to think through the humanity that is featured, the humanity of Jesus Christ. High priests, the writer says, they're human beings, human beings that are called by God into their service, and they're made compassionate by their vulnerabilities, the way that the New International Version translates verse eight. It says, he learned obedience. He learned obedience from the things he suffered and once made what? Perfect. Okay, there's the perfect present that the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. How did that happen? Well, he's just telling us. When he became perfect, then he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey. So here's the scenario. Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the human Mary. But then he learned obedience and became perfect. He didn't start that way. He learned and became through how? What school did he attend to learn that? Well, same school you do. School of suffering. School of hard knocks. School of problems. School of human challenge. He... he, did it as a human being. Now, there's so much hope for us here, maybe for you, right in the struggle, right in the suffering that you're facing today, right in the middle of this happy season and you're feeling so heavy. (laughs) Welcome to school. That God is at work, the same school that Jesus attended when he learned obedience and became the source of eternal salvation for all who obeyed. How does that work? Well, Jesus became God's perfect present as a human being. That's what the writer is trying to pull us into. Okay, I know Jesus was the Son of God, but I need you to think of him in his full humanity, his full humanity. That means Jesus never used his God power for himself. He conquered sin the human way, the same way you do, one temptation at a time. That's how he faced it, that's how he overcame it, that's how he became. The perfect because he obeyed he learned obedience through suffering against the testings that's what he's saying I don't know if you understand that I'm not sure that I fully do but he's just telling us you know Jesus conquered the human way he put the devil down but he did it as a human being that's what he's saying as a flesh and blood human being. And if you don't believe me, here Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. He shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. Jesus, in fully human status, died and whipped up on our spiritual enemy and then freed those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death of death. The emphasis here is upon the humanity of Jesus. God called the human Jesus through the things he had suffered as he graduated from the school of that suffering. What does it say? He Now you are in the order of the most high ancient honored order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. There's a cool name. You know, Jamie Bond is having a, I found out we're celebrating a new arrival, and there's, I suggested this would be a great name. Melchizedek Bond. Melchizedek. Is that a cool name, Melchizedek? Don't you just want to say it? Just roll it off the tongue? Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Look at your neighbor and just say Melchizedek. Melchizedek. But here's the point. It's a human name. Yeah, the kid would go by Mel obviously. And he couldn't spell it until he was in third grade, but Melchizedek. It's a human name. The high priest was a human male that stood before God on behalf of the people and then stood before people on behalf of God. And that's the role of the priest. And it was a high and holy role of honor and divine clout. And uh, in it, Here's what I'm getting. We see reflected in this Melchizedek our own high and holy office. Because whether you know it or not, you were made in the image of the divine Almighty God. This is the teaching of Scripture. This was the teaching of Jesus. This is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. You know, from this, what you're supposed to learn is your value and your worth. How much are you worth? Psalm 8 What are human beings? that you should care for them. And yet you made them only a little lower than Elohim, is the Hebrew word there, Elohim, than the most high God. And then you crowned them with glory and with honor and you gave them charge so that all things are under their feet. You, made, you gave them authority over everything. Psalm chapter eight, verses four and five. In other words, the incarnation is a profound reminder of that truth, our original position of authority as image bearers of God. In Christ, God became as we are to remind us of who we are and who we are intended to become. You know the song, O oh Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. What's the next part say? Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Could we skip on ahead to that? Yeah. Till he appeared and the soul felt it's what? That's what the incarnation is about. It's about who you are, who you truly are, who you, what you're worth, and how you are valued. Sometimes we say, well, hey, I'm only human. But well, you know what God is saying in the incarnation? He's saying, remember, you are human. Image bearer of the divine. But even in our highest state, then what we also see is that we're vulnerable creations, which is also in the high priest, his work of standing in the gap between heaven and earth, between time and eternity, between the glory of the above and the stress of the below, that the priest's humanity was supposed to help him be gentle with people. Do you see that in the text? Help him deal gently with the ignorance and the waywardness Of people, because he himself suffers from the same weaknesses. So, also in Jesus Christ, here's what we see he became as we are so that he could meet us where we are. And where are we? (laughs) Well, we're in desperate need. We don't always see it. We don't always get it. We don't always know it because remember, we don't know what we don't know. We're ignorant and we're ignorant about things that we're ignorant about. And so that means you don't know. And so the high priest would step in to try to say, let me show you, what you where you are. I will meet you where you are. And then in the, in the midst of where you are, you can find feeling and healing for who you are intended to be. And this is where the King James Version, which is one I love this translation, it said that our high priest was touched by the feelings of our infirmities. He became as we are so that he could meet us where we are. He he gets us. Even in our pain, even in our loneliness, even when we in our denial and we don't want to face it and we don't want to talk about it and we wish it would just go away but we're trying to pretend like it's not happening, that Jesus is there. He gets us. Did you see the story from the United Kingdom that where the government declared that loneliness is one of the great public health challenges of our time? And so they went about setting a vision to launch a nationwide initiative that by 2023, their vision is to have every general practice doctor, every physician in their country, be able to refer patients to, uh, that are experiencing loneliness to refer them for treatment. The surveys have shown that physicians there say they, as many as five patients a day, are struggling with loneliness in the United Kingdom right now. Another survey showed that hundreds of thousands of uh, older people haven't, haven't spoken personally with a friend or a relative in a month. They're lonely. Another evidence showed that uh, oh, one-fifth of the population, imagine this, 20%, one out of five people in the United Kingdom say that they feel lonely most or all of the time. And then further evidence shows on the medical side that loneliness is as bad for your health as obesity or smoking, and it's linked to other diseases like heart disease, strokes, and Alzheimer's. People are lonely. What does the incarnation have to do with that? Everything, (laughs) everything. It's so much, it means that infinite almighty God in Jesus knows what it feels like to be on our side of the equation as a fully human being. Now, it's natural for us. You know, we don't like weakness. We don't like weakness. We don't like the feel of it. We don't like what it, the show of it. We don't like to when it shows up in public. We say, and people say this, oh, I just have to stay strong for my family, right? And so you, it's, it's kind of natural when we would not want a weak God. And yet look what, listen to what the writer says here. Chapter 5, verse 7, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings. Pleadings. yeah. The pleadings mean you're, you've pled for something. Hey, got to have this. If you don't do I don't know how it's going to. Pleadings that he, he offered prayers and pleadings, oh, please, and then with a loud cry, he's turning the volume all the way up and then he's accompanying it with tears, it says, to the one who could rescue him from death. It's like sometimes you'll hear people say this about somebody, oh, I've never seen him cry. But what the writer's telling us, what the people who were close to Jesus said, you could never say that about Jesus. They'd seen him cry. And these words these are words of pathos and pain, loud crying, great emotion. I mean, it's extreme. It's almost embarrassing to study the original text here because it's talking about unintelligible sounds that are coming out loudly when accompanied by physical tears. And you say, this is the way Jesus prayed. This is where he found himself. He was was all in. He he prayed like an at-risk human. He cried like a desperate human. Jesus pled with God, let this cup pass from me. He wasn't faking it. He was feeling it. I mean, he was all in. He he was showing up in 100% humanity. Now, you know this line too, don't you? The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he made. Where did we get that? Not from the Bible. I'm telling you, it's not in the Bible. The Bible says the opposite. The Bible says as a man, a full-grown man feeling the heaviness of this life, Jesus wept. Mac, Mark chapter 14, verse 33, is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Can you imagine? And he, he's just deeply troubled. He's overwhelmed with sorrow. The scripture says that he is crushed with grief to the point of death. Man, you can't go any farther down emotionally than that. And that's where he is. And he's, he's coming out of that in his expression. He's been betrayed. He's been denied. He's been abandoned by his closest friends. All the ones that would be the first ones to be invited to his party, they've, they've left him. Sometimes, and you know, if, if anyone ever knew what loneliness feels like, he did. And then on the cross, on the cross, he, he feels forsaken by God. Man, that's lonely. All the way down. And why is he there? Well, he said it was for you, for me, It's for us. That he was feeling, he was feeling with us you know, sometimes we just don't want to feel anything. We stuff it. He, he's feeling with and for us. And sometimes in our humanity, you know what, we just, we hit the limit. It's like, man, I'm just full up. You know, that t-shirt that says, um, down to my last nerve and you just stepped on it. It's like, stop. I can't handle anymore. This is, I'm there. I'm, I'm hit. And so, you just you stop feeling. You feel numb. You're just numb. Kay Gackle is a licensed marriage and family therapist, longtime Christ Journey member, good, strong friend of ours, been here for a while. Now she's serving in Oklahoma with her husband there. But she wrote a book about it, simply entitled Numb. Speaks for many in our culture. I've been there. You've been there? Numb. Finding healing and feeling her personal story that she tells in here, her personal journey, it feels like the story of Job. I mean, just multiple losses, grief upon grief, sorrow upon sorrow, multiple miscarriages. She's lost loved ones, uh, precious to her. Diseases have tried to take take out. Uh, fire burned down facilities special in her life so much. Just left her without the ability to smile. And without the ability to cry. That's why she wrote numb. And here's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. Believe it or not, God, in the incarnation of Jesus, went there with you, for you, so that you could find healing in his feelings. You stopped feeling, you don't feel, it's hard to feel. He knows all of that and he's there so that you can find healing by receiving his feelings. That's what a high priest does. Maybe he's inviting you to lean in right now and telling you, don't be afraid to feel, but let me bring my healing. Into that feeling. Salvation by his presence. That's what Emmanuel means. God, maker, redeemer, sustainer, healer with us. This great physician does house calls. And he comes right to your skin and says, I feel you. And he's telling the truth. Let him. Right now, let him. God with you in full humanity. You know, we talk about, scholars argue about the journey of the Magi, you know, those three wise guys following the star. Uh, How long did it take them? Four to six months Uh, following that star. How did the star happen? Yeah, 6 BC, 5, 4 BC, alignment of planets. You know, they talk about this. Uh, Maybe a thousand mile journey that they had to make. And yet what the Gospels focus on is the journey that God made to that first Christmas. That he came all the way from eternal life into temporal existence as Jesus. It's a mystery. I don't fully understand it. That he came all the way from the dimension of heavenly glory into the dimensions of humanity and our experience of life, that he came to be, he came, he came from his throne of authority into battlefield earth. Why? Why? It's the question. Why? Because he wanted to be with you. That's what he says. manuel God with us. He wanted to hang out. He wanted to He wanted to know you. He wanted to love you. He wanted to open a way. He wanted you to know that he is feeling with you. He wanted you to know that he is feeling for you as one of us, one of you. He opens a way so that we can find our way home to him. He became as we are to offer himself as one of us on behalf of all of us. That's what the incarnation means. At his birth, we were told that he is Emmanuel, God, El, Elohim, With us in full humanity. At his ascension, as he's leaving, what does he tell everybody that's gathered? He says, now you go tell everybody about me and I will be with you to the end of the age. And before he gave them that commission, he was gathered with those few that would not stay faithful long, but he told them, you know what, I'm going to prepare a place for you and if I go, I'm going to come again so that I can take you to be with me so that where I am, there you're gonna be. This is the heart of God, (laughs) expressed in full humanity, saying Christmas is about family and I want you in mine. True story I came across woman in California who on an evening walk found an old violin that had apparently been abandoned by the side of the road. She took it home. She gave it to her, her nephew. He really wasn't interested in playing, but he received it as a gift and he kept it through the years. Years later, after he had grown up and married his wife, Teresa, found the violin, decided that she'd try to learn how to play it, you know? So she started taking lessons, and then one day she took it to a shop to get some repairs done, and... Uh, 27 years after that violin was found by the side of the road, at that repair shop, she discovered that it was no ordinary violin. In fact, it even had its own name, the Duke of Alcantara, given that name by its maker in 1732, the maker Antonio Stradivari. Yes, Stradivarius, the greatest violin maker in history. And it seems, the story goes, that back in 1967, the second violinist from the University of California Orchestra who was using that instrument carelessly forgot that they'd set it on the roof of their car and then drove off and it went and they went and didn't realize until, oops, later, where did it go? By the side of the road. That violin, by the way, was recently valued at $2.2 million. You know, sometimes the true value and the worth of a thing depends on the maker of the thing. Is this right? Case in point. Sometimes it depends on what somebody's willing to pay for it. Yeah, now that's what it's worth. Somebody's willing to pay that. Sometimes uh, the value of a thing is determined by the quality of its use in the hands of an expert who understands and has the skill to unleash it. So many people in the story of this lost and missing violin, you know, they had no idea. They were ignorant. They had no idea of the true value it held until its maker was identified. And then its true name was discovered and then its potential was unleashed in artistry of skill and expertise. You can see videos online of virtuosos playing this very instrument. But you know what, this is also the story of Christmas. This is your story. This is my story. This is our story. This is the story of each one of us because we're the ones who were made by the master who gave us the imprint of himself in our design. We're the ones who the creator made to reflect himself and knows your true name. A lot of confusion about identity these days. Who am I? What am I? Where am I? What am I supposed to? Well, the, the, the maker knows your name. The maker knows your value. The maker knows your worth. The maker knows your potential. The maker knows how to unleash it in his hands. And he loves you He's so much that he wrapped himself in humanity so that he could bring you out of the ditch where we tend to be tossed aside And restore you to full potential. This is the story of Christmas. He came to our rescue. He acts for our welfare. He has spared no expense because his desire is to save us for himself forever. The incarnate Christ never used his God powers on himself. But he wrapped himself in humanity. Meaning what? Well, let's review it one more time he became as we are to remind us who we truly are and are made to be that means that your potential victory can happen as a human being that your spiritual growth and inner, and uh, overcoming can happen as a human being clearly modeled by our human high priest. Secondly, it means that he became as we are so that he could meet us where we are in our desperate need and then offer himself as one of us on behalf of all of us. And thirdly, it means this, he became like us and came to be with us so that he could help us become like him so we could go be with him. At least that's what John wrote in his letter 1 John 3, see what great love the Father has lavished upon us? That we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. Yet it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when Christ appears, we shall be like him. You know what? The truest human being that has ever lived, standing at the right hand of God as a human high priest, most honored order of the ancient order of Melchizedek inviting us home. Heard someone say one time, the only man-made thing in heaven are the scars on the body of Jesus. But he bears them with love and he transforms them into the graduation diploma of an education that he perfected. He learned obedience through the things he suffered so that he could say, I'm here for you. Would you pray with me? You're sensing God's call, God's presence. You're having a new thought, maybe a prompting, maybe a feeling. Would you just lean into it? Would you just say, Lord, if that's you, I want to hear more? Speak to me. I'm listening. something else coming to mind, just invite him to meet you there because he's already there and let him show you how his feeling can bring healing into your struggle, into your future. Brother, sister, you can welcome him right there. Thank you, gracious God, for being my Emmanuel, that in Jesus you are with me right now in this, and I want to be with you. Mold my heart, fill me, touch me, help me. And we can take that prayer back another step and say maybe in your journey, this is the day that God wants to come and abide within you by his spirit in the gift of salvation. If you'd like to know Jesus personally, not just a religion, not just a church, not just a moral code of behavior, but a personal friend who gets you, a savior who has come for your healing, then you can join me in this prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe you came as God for me, from God to me, so that you can show me how you are here with me. And I receive you as my savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, forgive my sins. I believe you rose from the dead that your spirit could come alive in me, come into my life and teach me now as I learn to turn from going my own way and walk with you, become like you until the day you come back for me and we can be together forever. Our heads are still bowed, but if you prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, I'm gonna invite you simply to raise your hand and keep it up for a few moments as I look across the room. And then if you're joining us online, please tell us in the chat if you just prayed with us so that we can join you there as well. To my left in the back, God bless you. Toward the front, God bless you once again. To my left, I'm seeing two hands over there. Amen. In the center, amen. Uh, Toward the front right here in the, or on my right in the front, God bless you, sir. Lord Jesus, for every person who by uplifted hand is saying, I'm listening, And I'm responding. I'm opening my heart to you, Lord. May they feel your presence with them as you promised. And this Christmas, may they sense their true name and your true plan for their future as we make our prayer in your name. Amen.